You're listening to the Tuna Town Talks Fishing Podcast with Captain Paul Miller. Hello everyone, and thanks for listening. I'm a full-time charter captain based out of Ennis, Louisiana, and over the years I've seen some of the most incredible things, and some of my friends have told me some of the most unbelievable stories, so much to where I decided I would like to start a podcast. And now a word from our title sponsor, Blue Wave Boats. Blue Wave has been the number one selling bay boat along the Gulf Coast for many years now. And with over 50 square miles of marsh located out of Venice, Louisiana, it is essential that I choose the right boat to put my clients on fish. For the last four to five years, I've been using a 24-foot bay boat powered with a single 300 Suzuki, and it's been an amazing boat. However, over the years, I've also learned that I like to target a lot of different species that are near shore, so having a bigger boat with more power could help with that, which is why I've decided to move to a 26 Pier Bay powered with twin 200 Suzukis, and this has been the perfect size boat for being able to target multiple different species, especially because the boat has over four live wheels in it, which allows me to use multiple different baits to target multiple different species. With the flush mounted seating, I'm also able to maintain ample fishability, all while still providing a comfortable ride for my clients. With the step toll technology, I'm able to be more fuel efficient at higher speeds, which is also a huge advantage when making long runs through the marsh. If you would like to purchase a Blue Wave boat, head on over to bluewaveboats.com where you can find your local dealer. One of my favorite things to eat while out on the water is either beef jerky or snack sticks. And my favorite place to get this is bourgeoismeatmarket.com. That's right, guys. This is some really good stuff. They don't use any nitrates or preservatives. It comes from one of the oldest meat markets in the world with over 130 years in existence and their fourth generation taking over now. I really want to get the word out about their product and how easy it is to go on their website, order what you want, and leave it on your boat. So go to bourgeoismeatmarket.com and use code TUNATOWNTALKS in all capital letters to get 10% off your order. That's right, guys. Go to bourgeoismeatmarket.com and use code TUNATOWNTALKS in all capital letters to get 10% off your order. That's bourgeoismeatmarket.com. B-O-U-R-G-E-O-I-S meatmarket.com. All right, Jamie, I want you to try some of this. Uh, it's called turkey cheese. It's uh, from the Bourgeois Meat Market. And uh, I had uh, Shane Bourgeois on the boat today, and uh, he brought me some stuff. And uh, he's 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 partnering up with my podcast, so I wanted you to try it. Where is Bourgeois located? All right, Thibodeau, Louisiana. Thibodeau, Louisiana. He's got two locations. Man, I'm telling you, I've never had turkey cheese before, but mm. it's really good. They have it's a bunch of stuff. Really unique products, you know. And what do you what do you normally eat on on the boat? Try not to eat too much, so I don't have a situation. <laughs> you know, if you got a bunch of guys and you know they're all salted earth and you know country people, they don't mind if you have to use a bathroom. But sometimes you get women and kids, and it can make the situation uncomfortable. So I eat a little snack bar and try to eat light, and then I'll eat a lunch when I come in off the boat if we've been on the right, water for yeah. six eight hours. Right, that makes sense. I love I love like cured meats like meat sticks and uh, beef jerky and stuff and I love the fact I can just put a bunch of it in my console and I don't have to think about making sandwiches in the morning and stuff so I don't know I just thought I'd share that with some people some absolutely you can order this stuff off of his website and it's like I don't know it's really cool he's got all I mean I, I'm planning on going over there and um 
to their meat market and visit it and everything. But mm-hmm. well, it's us. very tasty. It tastes similar to hoghead cheese. You know, my mom was a Kazan from Sunset, Louisiana. I grew up in Church Point, and uh, I grew up eating boudin, head cheese, and that kind of stuff. And uh, it does taste similar, and it's probably a little healthier for you. Probably it's got so. a good flavor, yeah. got a good spice. Yeah, not as greasy, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Well, before we get started, I'm going to go ahead and say this, and um, maybe people won't like it, but... <laughs> Jamie Taylor is probably the best inshore guide in Venice, Louisiana, and I'm just gonna put that out there. And I'm I'm not talking. I mean, fishing wise, you always stroke them, but the all around experience. That, but, not but the all around experience for the customer, I, I give you a lot of trips, Jamie, and you always. I mean, people net people always have a ball. It doesn't matter what you catch, man. And I'm just I'm I hope you take this as Absolutely. a compliment. Absolutely, I certainly this appreciate like, it. Very much. All around experience, like in in being able to catch the fish. The only other thing I would anybody would ever say is like, man, we just caught them too quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes we get caught up in how beautiful this place is. I see it every day. We were just talking about that a second ago, and you know, the sunrise in the morning. People work in the industry. They work in a busy office. Attorneys that come visit us, and you you got to remember, they want to spend a day on the water. You know, and they want to talk. They want to enjoy the moments. Yes, they want to catch fish, but you got to kind of feel your customers out, see what yeah. they're looking for. You know, I had a lady the other day stop me in the middle of the river to ask about a ship and take pictures with her family with the sunrise and what was the big building at Pilot Town? What's that for? You know, so it's not just about fishing. You got to make make the day about them. And, and I say this all the time: I can put people on fish, I can't make them bite. But if we don't get them, it ain't going to be because of lack of effort. You know, they're going to get my effort 100 percent, 100 of the time. You know, all the time and even if sometimes we have to work till two, three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, we're going to do what we have to do. But right. we're in the repeat customer business. So I want the guys to have fun. I want to do what they want to do, you know, no yeah. matter what that is. And we want them to come back. Right. But you, thank you. You always have. And, and, and I, I think, you know, I, I love talking with all my customers. That's one of my favorite part of, parts about this job is uh, getting to know people and um, like just from all walks of life you know their their jobs what they do and everything and i i think sometimes whenever people come out on the water they don't expect it but having a genuine conversation with somebody they don't know is somewhat of a thing of the past and i think you know you provide that and absolutely a lot of guides down here in venice too but you know i value it i I told a customer this other day we were talking and uh, there are conversations that you can have over the phone conversations you need to have face to face and conversations you can have over email or social media but in this generation is coming up they forget about that face-to-face interaction you know that yeah. you need to sit down and have a true conversation where you can look into a person's countenance and, and see how they're feeling what their emotions are and sometimes we use text messages too quick and and i sometimes we get caught up and we're busy and that's an easy way to respond but it can be misconstrued in those conversations a lot of, of what somebody's trying to say so 100 percent, 100 percent. yep well, man, let's jump into it. Um, so, how did you how did you start fishing, Jamie? Like, where did you where like where did you get your passion for fishing? Where did it come from? Man, you know, my dad took us fishing um, as a kid. Just grew up uh, brim fishing, freshwater fishing, camping, and uh, you know, I, I grew up in the country. You know, we didn't have a whole lot, but we had ponds in the backyard and in Baton Rouge or where? Well, that's a good question. I was born in Monroe, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, born and lo- raised in Louisiana. I haven't moved out of the state. Been in here, my, my, you know, I'm 49 years old this year and I've uh, been here my whole life. My mom was from a little town called Church Point, Louisiana, Lewisburg, and uh, I went to Sunset High School as a kid. I grew up and went to eight different schools. So I graduated uh, from Gonzales at East Ascension in 1991 and 
Uh, I started fishing in Venice. Uh, I think my first trip here was when I was 17 years old. So I've been fishing down here for about 32 years. But wow. I just enjoy the outdoors, Paul. Um, you know, being outside. Uh, you know, my past career, I worked in the industry and being in office and uh, helping people, doing all those things I enjoyed. But you know, you sit in that office window and you look outside. And it's a beautiful day, and it's like, man, that's where I really want to be. And, that's where my passion is. So, you know, I've been guiding for almost 10 years now full-time, and, and I enjoy every minute of it. I really do. That's awesome, man. 10 years, huh? So what did you? What was your previous job before this? So right out of high school, uh, I actually uh, went to LSU and um, graduated through the fire and emergency training program. I was a volunteer fireman as a, you know, when I was a kid, probably 15, 16 years old. Uh, started my career in the municipality. Uh, worked for a paid fire company for a while, then realized that the money was in the industry. Uh, got an EMT license when I was probably 19 or 20, kept it for almost 20 years as a medic. So, you know, I've had probably 400 hours through the Fire Training Emergency Center at, uh, at LSU and uh, LSU Fetty and um, got in the industry, uh, worked my way up through safety and being a medic, working turnarounds. And uh, when, whenever I, I took a severance package and, and left the company I was working for, I was the safety director for the Shaw Group or CB&I out of Baton Rouge. CB&I bought them, uh, I guess, in 2014, somewhere around in that area, 2013. I can't remember exactly when it was. Right, right. Wow, so you were big into safety for how, how long did you say? Uh, for a little over 20 years. 20 years, yep. wow. Yep. wow. Started as a, you know, when I actually once I became a medic and, uh, you know, with my background being a junior fireman and all the arson detection, investigation, rescue, that kind of stuff that I had, uh, you know, being a young man and uh, that applied those skills in the industry and got into safety and just kind of worked my way up uh got it you know was in compliance for a long time i was a safety manager over multiple jobs yeah. you know and cb and i uh when they bought shaw shaw was you know a fortune 500 company responsible for a lot of work they were the largest nuclear maintenance provider in the united states and but um you know i enjoyed what i did su supported my family for years uh, but uh, once i backed away from that you know it's not that i don't miss the people in that business i do because yeah. uh, that's what you remember the most but the day-to-day -day and, you know, the business is changing. And, you know, we've got a big construction project going on not too far from Venice. And yeah. when I pass that, I just look out there and go, man, just don't rem don't miss uh, punching a time clock every day and <laughs> work until dark. Uh, but uh, Explain to everybody what that is because I, I get a lot of uh, questions about that plant. That the you know, LNG facility? Yeah, the LNG facility that's uh, on your – I guess it's on the left and the right hand side as you're coming yeah down well they build the port on the on the uh you know the east side of the road and then the plants on the west side it's a liquefied natural gas storage facility plaquemines lng yeah. it's a joint venture between multiple contractors and as i understand it is the biggest or largest uh, construction con uh, contractor or building that's going on right now in the world wow yes so and this is phase one and they've got multiple phases so it's it's a multi-billion dollar facility yeah it's going to be like uh like somebody told me close to 16 billion by the time it's all said I, and done. i don't know the number i was talking to our councilman about it uh, a couple of weeks ago you know the, the parish owns the property and they leased mm -hmm. it uh, to plng and and there's you know a lot of things involved but it's very good for the parish it's, it's going to bring a lot of tourism yeah, you know it's i was bring i was thinking that too like i mean th this is going to help to help us with getting infrastructure infrastructure down here yes um, well it's going to help funding help taxes you know obviously the parish has got some revenue that they're going to generate from yeah. it but you get a lot of folks that uh, are going to be working at that facility they haven't even staffed it they're still in the civil phase which is your main phase and then once they start doing piping mechanical and get the port built and you know, there's a lot of things going on as you notice they're doing a lot of jet dredging in the river because yeah. they're, they're going to dredge all the way up to that point to get the, some of the bigger tankers up there as wow, I understand. So they're going to make it even deeper yes i don't i don't know the exact number but I, you know they approved that a couple of years ago wow wow yep 
Very interesting stuff, man. That's uh, I, every time I look at it, I'm like, man, if <laughs> it's just unbelievable the amount of dozers and just sheer manpower that Absolutely. they have there. It's very impressive. <laughs> yep, yep. But um, anyways, that was kind of a a tangent. But uh, what um, what was the initial like? What was the main reason for making your transition into being an, uh, a charter captain? Well, that's a good question. You know, I was. Um I've had a camp down here for whew, a, a number of years. You know, prior to Katrina, I had a houseboat in Venice Marina, mm-hmm. uh, and Katrina was what 2005. 2005. Uh, so yeah. like you were early to early 2000s or 90s. Well, I started fishing here. I think my first fishing trip here was in 1991. I don't remember when I first got my camp, but uh, you know, moved a houseboat down here for a good while. Had been fishing and making su- what we used to call suicide trips. You know, get up early at 2 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. drive from Baton Rouge, fish all day, and then drive back. And then, you know, when you start getting a little older, you can't do that anymore. So, it, yeah. <laughs> But I've, this is my, that, that we, you know, we're doing our podcast in my shop here in, in Venice, and this is my third camp that I've had. Uh, after I lost my houseboat, I, I, I decided to move a trailer uh, inside the levee system. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually bought another houseboat and was going to move it outside the levee system back to the marina and we just you know had trouble getting things insured and you know insurance continues to rise every year Mm -hmm. i don't even think you can get a houseboat insured and get get someone to write a policy south of i-10 or 12 in louisiana anymore at all so i didn't want to be self-insured and risk you know eighty hundred thousand dollar investment without having insurance so you know inside the levy system you can still get insurance reasonably and and that's why i have this place here yeah man it's beautiful cam every time i drive up to it i get jealous it's like and Jamie's got this giant camp, and he's got, you know, a place to keep his boat and a really, really nice uh, double-wide trailer. And it's, it's uh, man, <laughs> really cool. And you, you just got your new boat too, right? Yep. Well, it's new to me. It's a 2003 Gravois uh, aluminum custom-built console. And I've been friends with the, the man that owned the boat for years and years, and he just has got up in age and couldn't handle it. And, uh, you know, I had talked to him about it over the years, and he approached me, but it was just, you know, it was a godsend, uh, you know, went to his house, you know, he didn't want to deal with the public, we went over everything, the motor hadn't ran in four years, blah, 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 I didn't even turn electronics on, and, you know, and basically wrote a six-figure check for something I never even put in the water, but uh, it was a, it was a deal of a lifetime for me, and it's a lifetime boat, I don't, I don't plan on buying another aluminum boat, so it's a 26-foot uh, Gravois aluminum custom, and it's uh it's actually 28 foot total, but they don't count the swim deck, so it's registered as a 26. But it's a 26 register. Okay. Yeah. You can't never have enough room on the water. Yeah. <laughs> so the older yeah, it's I, it's a beautiful boat, man. The older really I get, is. I want to be a little more comfortable. It's not the fastest boat out there, but mm-hmm. man, it fishes well. You know, and Paul, one of the biggest things it is is that it drafts the same amount as like my 24 foot skeeter. Or, you know, my, really? my best friend Travis Fortner's got his champion sitting here in my building and. It's a 24-foot champion, and me and him can fish side by side in 12 inches of water or less, and, right. and you know, and, and still uh, getting some of the same places. So yeah, it's a beautiful boat, man. How custom they can make these uh, aluminum boats is, is like it's hard not to admire them with the the amount of Absolutely. you know just custom work that they do, and then and you've even made modifications to it since you got it, and uh, man, it's just I don't know, it's really cool to see how the the craftsmanship of some of the welders down here that's the biggest thing you know customers ask all the time what kind of boat this is because i don't have any stickers or anything on it most of your fiberglass boats which i owned for years and years will never say anything bad for them i made a good living in first six or seven years of my career with a 24 foot skeeter and 
Uh, they, they all have their different purpose. It's just a different boat, and some people yeah. like them, some people don't. I, yeah, it's always a as a it's a trade off every correct. time. Any any boat mm-hmm. you want is you know it's tick for tack on what's going to be better and what's going to be worse. Right, <laughs> but you know if you, like this year, I brought it back to Jimmy Gravois, who uh, originally started Gravois boats, and <coughs> he built them, and uh, he personally added some rod holders. He put me a cup holder where I put my leader material. Uh, put drain holes where I wanted it, repainted the bottom, cut this out, you know, make a door where there was tackle storage so I can access some pumps, make it personalized. And, and you know, in an aluminum boat, all it is is you're grinding, welding, and put a little paint on it. With a fiberglass, it's tough to mold something. And, and, and yeah, it's a little different. It sure. is, exactly. Yeah. You can so. still do it, but it is different. Yeah, <laughs> and it's more, it's, it costs a lot more money. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. Mm. Really cool. Um, so you started uh you you got your uh your camp down here in uh 2000 and i mean i guess prior to katrina prior to katrina and so what was the difference within after katrina once katrina happened how long did it take you to come fishing down here again and what was that whole i mean that was a huge deal i mean katrina i mean we still talk about it today and it's unbelievable well you know it's a hundred year storm and i hope we never see one like that again a lot of people lost their life during Katrina, and, and I lost a camp. I didn't lose a house. A lot of folks down here in Lower Plaquemines Parish, m- the majority of them lost their homes. So you're never going to get me to, to pull out a sympathy card. You know, my heart goes to all those families that lost loved ones. But, uh, I, you know, after Katrina, a lot of things changed. Uh, I think I had a travel trailer and moved it to a trailer park across the street here, emanate off on the trailer park, and in 2006, uh, I want to say in April or May, so almost eight or nine months after the storm is when we started getting electricity. I ran off a generator for about a month or two, and I know a lot of the guides were still trying to work and, and do things. But uh, You weren't guiding. Though. I was not guiding, but I had a camp here. That was right. So I put my second camp there, and then um, I bought another uh, mobile home trailer and moved it there in November of 2006, and I kept that one for a number of years until I built this place three years ago. But um, you know, prior to Katrina, you know, this place was amazing, and some of the best fishing we had was the year after Katrina. And I can remember driving down from Baton Rouge, launching my bay boat in the old uh, Riverside Landing, which is now Pilot Town because they relocated that after Katrina, launched in the river, caught a limited trout in the jump. Uh, me and a f- good friend of mine, Tommy Vince, uh, we went to uh, look for some redfish. The tide wasn't quite right, so we started bass fishing. We probably caught and released 30 bass. And then uh, I said, man, the tide's just about right. Let's go hit a little drain I got and back at Camp Canal and pulled up there, and we caught 10 of the prettiest 17, 18-inch redfish. So I had a limit of reds, a limit of trout, and a limit of bass, and a, and we had the boat on the trailer by 11 o'clock headed home. So Holy moly. Yeah. That was, <laughs> you know, that's the things that get you to keep coming back to Venice, Louisiana. It right. truly is the fishing capital of the world. It's a different beast in its own. It definitely is, no doubt about it. But uh, after Katrina, I mean, a lot of habitat was lost, right? There was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, miles of the coast. Yeah, see, that's something I never got to experience is everybody talks about how the difference and what it was before Katrina and, and the difference in it now. And can can you kind of highlight the differences and what, what that might be like? Is main you talking about from an estuary standpoint? Yeah. You know, uh, I don't really want to get into all the biologist studies they're doing for trout mm. and redfish. No, just in, you your, in your, opinion, opinion, but your opinion. You know, we lost the most coastline uh, after that that year of the storm than we've had in you know probably five ten years combined of coastal erosion and the fishing was the absolute best mm-hmm. for you know the next 12 or 18 months that i've ever seen it you know and this year here has been a phenomenal year for fishing for yeah. speckled trout 
redfish. The river's been low for a couple years now, and, uh, you know, we're recovering from the BP oil spill. You know, uh, BP was, what, April of 2010, I think it was, so it's been 13 years, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's taken some time. We've had a low river, and, yes, we're continuing to lose land, uh, but, um, you know, the, the... our estuary is just second to none with the with the Mississippi yeah. River. The bait do you fish think that it that. got? Do you think that the fishing got so good after Katrina because of the loss of uh, land would maybe more concentrate all the fish or no? You know, I, I really can't tell you. All right. I know is the facts. The facts is we lost the most land we've lost in my personal opinion that I could see from a visual eye standpoint. Yeah. You know, in any five or ten years combined, and it was one of the best fishing years that we've had. So, you know, yes, we're losing land, and, you know, there's all kind of projects like they just, you know, I saw in the paper the other day that Governor Edwards came down and um, um, was at uh, the Old Spanish Pass where they built miles and miles of land. But it kind of, you know, to me, they they did a lot of great work, and I think it will help us for coastal flooding. But, you know, we really need some stuff like that done at the mouth of South Pass. And you look at Pasalutra Beach. Yeah. what that place used to be i mean i can remember catching you know we had a place down there called eight pound point nine pound point uh not not, not necessarily in blind bay but way off of what we used to be north bay at the end of pasalutra i can remember there was a bay there called there north was a bay, bay there wow around the lighthouse correct and you know i think i remember brandon quarter talking about the ponds that you know redfish bay and north bay that would hold good salt water that when the winds were howling 25, 30 knots back in those days, we could go and catch limits of trout, where now, uh, because of coastal erosion, because of the hurricanes, and we lose so much habitat, habitat the river uh, affects where we fish a lot now because the river water is just about everywhere. There's only just a couple places well, there's, that there's not enough, that's not protected. There's right. not enough land in the marsh to keep it kind of away from certain areas to where those, those other so, fish can flourish. So right? everywhere you fish is more brackish. It's not, you know, and you don't yeah. really get to any areas that holds just good, clean salt water. But, you know, if we had a four-mile or three-mile sandbar uh, that was rebuilt and replenished after storms to protect the end of Pasalutra or the end of South Pass or, you know, the, take Burwood, for example, there, you know, that beach used to go way out there. And I can remember catching some big trout and we used to go free line cokers and croakers and throw cast net for pogies and with split mm-hmm. shots. And we didn't have to bring shrimp and stuff, you know, yeah. and uh, we just don't have that available to us anymore. So every, my whole point in that, Paul, is that when we have a storm, uh, those waves and all that pounding continues to hit our marsh. And we lose Roseau Canes. We lose that interior things that we need. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, uh, I have three grandkids now, and we're just going to have to continue fishing more north. Yeah. So. And that's what it's hap- That's what's happened, right? You feel like, for, especially for things like speckled trout, you think? Well, it's different for both. You know, salt require a high grade of salinity right. uh, to catch, uh, especially your younger ones. Uh, mm-hmm. The older ones, can, I think, can handle the river a little bit better. But the biggest issue is that when you had all those saltwater areas and during the spawn uh, with your younger trout, when they would spawn, the saltwater could fertilize the eggs. So during the spawn now, if you've got a lot of fresh water, then they won't, they won't be able to do what Mother Nature intended them for doing. I think you lose a, an opportunity to for the hatchling or whatever they call that. Yeah. You know, I'm not a, do you feel like there's less speckled trout downriver now than what there used to be? Or do you think you think like a lot of that biomass has moved north into like Breton Sound and maybe north on, on the other no. side of the river? No. Uh, I mean, you still catch nice trout catch north em. of here. I mean, you know, and, I, and let's just stop for a second. I fish, you know, I leave from Venice. 
I can go fish the mouth of Southwest Pass or South Pass, which is what 32 miles, 28 miles to South Pass. I I can fish east of here to the Mister Go. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been to all the Barrier Islands. I can go north and go fish, you know, Delacro Marsh, Hopedale, and uh, and I also go west. I mean, not even three weeks ago, I went to Four Bio Pass and over towards. Uh, it's not but 32 miles out of Red Pass, and you're sitting right at Sand Dollar Marina. So mm-hmm. when you think about it, an hour boat ride in any direction, you've got a lot of land that you can cover. Yeah, that's that's the biggest uh, advantage of Venice, I think, is the, the access the, the access to where you can go and what you mm-hmm. can do. Most all coastlines they have an inlet and a, a, a parallel coastline. You know, they're limited to what they can do. Yeah, and if you got a strong wind out of a certain direction, I mean, you're, you're pretty much, that's you know, correct. got your hands tied mm-hmm. behind your back. Yep. You're not going to do much that day. You know, and a good friend of mine, Ron Price, uh, you know, <coughs> Ron's probably one of the best plastic fishermen I've known for years, and he will, a lot of times, launch on the, let's say, the west side of the river up in Buras, and then if things are not happening, he'll put his boat on the trail and go launch on the east side. Or take the locks at Empire and go through. Uh, you know, you don't hear a lot of the folks in Venice doing you don't, that. No, I never but, done that. But before. there are times I leave Venice Marina and I'll go fish the west side and it's just not happening. Or we caught trout there and you know, hey, we pick up and run to the east side. Yeah. But but you're you know, you're, depending on the tides that day. You know, you go further north and you have a you know a falling tide. The tide's always going to start falling first downriver. So you know, you can you can pick up and run 15, 20 minutes and pick up a little more tide if you need to. Right. Right. It's super cool, man, to, to think about all that stuff. Because it's like, you know, as a fisherman down here in Venice, you, you can be, uh, I call it being creative. You know, as I, some people don't like to think of fishing as being like artistic or creative, but a lot of times I feel like it is because depending on what you, you know, what you're thinking about doing or what kind of clients you got, you know, you can kind of create a unique experience for them based off of what you know. You know, I mean, you know, I do. You guys do a lot more redfish and speckled trout and stuff, and I do that stuff too. But I, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of times I end up doing you know a lot of nearshore stuff because I, th- mm-hmm. I really love creating a unique experience for somebody to where they can experience something that they can't experience on where they come from. You know right. what I mean? And and trying to catch a giant triple tail or a giant mangrove snapper or a cobia, that, they don't typically see that stuff all the time. So. I think that that what you what you were saying is to where you can go and what you can do. I think there's a lot there's a lot more creativity that can happen fishing out of here out of Venice. You know, with correct all that. Kind well, of I stuff. think about a couple of months ago you were talking about you love cane pole fishing. Yeah, and I was like, man, I just I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. It just doesn't sound fun. And you looked at me. I'll never forget what you said. You said you got to make it fun, <laughs> and, and you do. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I do that. But I just you know you, when you told me it registers, there are days out there that you know if the redfish aren't biting and you the trout's not working. I mean, you gotta. Sometimes I'll go to the nearshore rigs and you know I'll bring I keep one rod in there for maybe a triple tail. And I'm not the best triple tail guy, but I have caught them and I yeah. I know where some mangroves See, and are. I said the same thing about trout. I, I do catch them. I know how I've caught them, but I'm not the best guy. If, you know, if somebody right. comes to me and they say, they call me on the phone, they say, man, I really want to go hammer the speckled trout. I'm going I'm to be like, you should go no, with Jamie. No, they need to go with the Carter brothers. <laughs> yeah, or I'll give you them know. the Carter. I'll even send them with the Carters. I've told a lot of people. I mean, there's no denying that they're really good at catching speckled Absolutely. trout. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, we, we there's laugh, no and I don't want to insult anybody, and please don't take it the wrong way, but, you know, Brandon and John will run over grandmas in wheelchairs to catch a speckled trout. <laughs> and, it, and it's just a saying that they will. If the trout are biting, that's what they're going for. But, that's you know, doing, I yeah. get customers, uh, you know, there were a couple of years where we struggled on trout, and you get customers from Florida, and they, all they want to do is catch redfish. And even yeah. if the trout are biting, 
I'm not going to force my customer to go do something they don't want to do. Yeah. When I know if I can go catch two or three bull reds, which, you know, it pays the bills. Yeah. And I won't, I'm, again, I'm going I'm to say it again. I, I talked about this earlier. I'm in the repeat customer business. You know, yeah. I'm, I've been in business now, like I said, almost 10 years, and I've got a lot of my own trips, and I, there's a lot of times I've got, you know, five, six, seven boats overflow, and, and we're continually growing. So yeah, yep. absolutely. We want those guys to come back. And, Paul, what's interesting is, you know, I've been doing it long enough now that I've got some folks that used to bring their kids. And I had a trip the other day that boy fished with me probably six, seven years ago. And then now he's in college, brought all his college buddies. And then he told me, he said, man, I'm dating a girl, and I want to do a bachelor party. And I said, hey, man, I'm your guy. So it's going to be cool to watch someone that I yeah. hooked on fishing as a kid. He goes to college. He brings his college buddies. That's a whole other section of customers that I'm tapping into. Then he's going to do a bachelor party. He's going to bring them in. And then, you know, after that, maybe when he has a kid of his own, he's going to bring them down, and I'll, and I'll take them fishing. And that's what it's really about. Enjoy the outdoors that the good Lord provided for us. Get them to enjoy it and get them to come back. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it, man. I I love seeing people come back, and it's, it's like once you do this long enough, and I, people used to say it um, when I first got into this business that you know if you do this long enough, it's like going going fishing with your friends, and and I I guess I understood it, but you don't really understand it until you experience it, and it it really is like that. You're like going out with your friends a lot of times, and you get to catch up with people, and and um yeah, I mean kind of. And you attract the people, you attract people that are more like you, you know, the people that you, that, that, that are kind of like-minded and they, you know, people that you jive with. You're not going to jive with everybody that gets on your no, boat. No, no, but you know what? I say this, I brought, raised my kids to, to uh, understand this, that being nice to people doesn't cost anything. Mm-hmm. And being happy and being in a good mood is just a decision when you wake up in the morning. So... You know, you get some customers that come on, and there's nothing that I can do to make them happy. And that's okay. I'm still going to give them their money's worth because they're paying me good, hard-earned money for that day. But there's some people that just say, hey, Captain, we're going to do whatever you want to do today. It's Captain's choice. We're we're just here to have fun. We've been fishing with you four, five, six years. Go do what you do. We know we're going to have fun. So, okay, then we go fish what we want. But. You know, I'm one thing I hate, and I know you and I have talked about this, is, you know, you get someone who potentially saves up their money all year to come down to Venice to have a graduation trip for their son or something, and all they want to do is, let's say, go catch a, a bull redfish or go go try for a trophy trout. And then you know that you can go catch a limit of keeper reds, and then you go do that, and you don't do what they want to do. And, you, you know, they potentially saved up for a year to come down for one day Mm-hmm. And you go do what you want to do. Well, they're, they're not ever coming back, and that's yeah. not what I want. I want yeah. them to have the pictures, the memories, and I want them to come back and, and yeah. bring their kids, their friends, and tell everybody, hey, he's going to do what you want to do because, you know, it, if you ask me any given day what I like to target, I can't answer that question. You know, right. snapper season's coming <laughs> up. I love to target snapper. We do a little bit of everything. But, you know, every day's different. You know, the tide, the moon, the time of year, the the river level, the wind, all those are major factors on where we fish, where we go. And sometimes, you know, I never make a plan the night before. Yeah. I never do. We Me either. I try, you, you know, I used to fish with a captain that never left the dock with a plan. And then I fished with a captain for over four years that every morning we left with such a plan and I couldn't stand it. And then after I got to start running my own boat, I was that way. Right. And I couldn't, I was like, why am, why am I trying to plan out my day right now? At, you know, eight o'clock at night, it doesn't work. Well, I'll give you a good example. Okay. So you, you, you make a great plan from the day before, you know, you can go catch redfish. You talk to your customers. That's what they want. Well, you wake up and let's say that we got a thunderstorm 
Mm-hmm. All right. And it, a big, like the other day, we had a couple weeks ago, we had a pretty severe storm come through with 35, 40 mile an hour winds. Well, you know, in my mind, where I fished yesterday, I can't go now. So now I had a plan and I don't even know what to do. So I learned early on as a very rookie captain that I make my plan that morning. I wake up, I just kind of do a little field check. What's the wind doing? What's the tide? Yes, you take your years of experience. For years and years, I used to have log books of, you know, what the river was doing when I didn't fish as much as I do today. But, you know, now being on the water 200 days a year, it's more of an intuition of where I need to go, make adjustments, and I just do not like to make a solid plan uh, that is concrete. Because if you do that and you think all your eggs in one basket and that doesn't work, then then you're panic mode. You know, yeah. there's a lot of times that I'll just say, "Hey guys, all right, we got to change zip codes, we got to relocate, we got to do something different, even if it's wrong." Yeah. Because what we're doing now is not working, and you got to put forth that effort for those people. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting you say that because it's like I, I feel like it's like a, what what you've experienced in your past fishing days and the spots where you're most confident is where, you know, they, there's spots that you fish and other people fish that I never fish because right. I've never caught them there. I might have been there four times, but I never did catch them there. But they, they've caught them there, you know, how many gazillion times. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that that's their confidence spot. And I have my, my confidence spot. And Absolutely. everybody kind of – finds their own way in what they think it works and what what aggravates me a lot about a lot of guys that get into this is they try to like radio fish or ask people where to go and they fishing behind people all the time and it doesn't work <laughs> it really doesn't work well let me ask you a question how many times has somebody called you on the radio to a bite and you get there and it worked out uh, very few it's there happened. are times there are times correct but very few so if you do that three or four times with your customer your customer starts to lose confidence in you like Okay, we got to depend on other people to call me. Well, mm-hmm. the next time they come, they're not going to want to go with you. They're yeah. going to want to go with somebody else. Now, look, we all struggle, yeah. me included. Yes, I like to leave early in the morning just because, you know, I, I get up early. You get up early. been doing it my <laughs> whole life. Rise. At 3, 3.30, <laughs> I'm be staring at the ceiling. So, I mean, I just as soon get up, get on the water, and I love the early bite. They're fishing, and all you just watch all animals. They love to move around, do stuff right at daylight. Birds yeah. get active squirrels get active rabbits get active right at daylight and fish are the same way so you i always think no matter what the conditions you got a good chance for the first hour of the morning to put something in the box and, and have a little action so i yeah. like to leave early and, and and do that yeah that's cool and i that there is that's the whole experience that adds the experience as well as watching that sunrise come up while you're heading down the river it is <laughs> absolutely i mean man the mississippi river delta when the sun's coming up uh, I'm a big duck hunter, as you know, and I love being, used to love being in the marsh and just listen to it come alive. It, there's phases, you know, when mm-hmm. the pelicans start flying, you know, when the cormorants, you know, start moving around and the marsh just starts coming alive. There's just so much out there that the good Lord created for us that we got to appreciate. And pre- the older you get, you know, now, like I said, now I've got three grandkids, got two beautiful kids, been married to the woman of my life for several years now, and um, it, it just, uh, you got to step back and, and um appreciate the good things absolutely yep. absolutely uh, here's a question I, i've got for you though um i'd say about 90 percent of the time we're using live shrimp do, do you do you ever do like plastics like if somebody gets on their boat and they say or calls you and they say they want to fish with plastics how do you approach that as a as a as a guide and um well, two questions. So, I'll, so if I have a customer that calls me and wants to bring plastic, you know, it's a natural tendency for a grown man to take what he's learned 
uh, let's say in Texas. Uh, here mm -hmm. recently, two days ago, I had some customers from Texas that wanted to come. And of course, they call before and say, what kind of gear do you use? And you know, what kind of line do you use? And this, you know, they want to apply their knowledge of fishing in Texas uh, or Florida to Louisiana. And in Texas and Florida, they don't have the Mississippi River. Yeah. So it's, it, we fish different. completely different. The, yeah. the clear water to us is not clear water to them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had the customer call and says, well, man, look, I really want to bring bait casters. I said, brother, you can bring whatever you want. That's not a problem. But I'll never forget this. He gets on the boat, and I said, hey, do me a favor. Try it my way for 30 minutes, and then we'll, and if you can do whatever you want. And what I'm trying to do is trying to get him to catch fish because I know what he's going to do and apply is probably not going to work. And then you know, two days ago, the guy brought two bait casters, put them in the rod, rod box, uh, my, my rod locker, and he never took them out the remainder of the day. He had a tackle box and everything. He fished the way I wanted him to, and, and he understood it. But then you have some people that want to do it their way. Uh, yeah. You know, it blows my mind. I've got some customers that want to throw plastics, and some days trout and redfish will bite plastics. I caught a limit of redfish yeah. this year on plastics, and a whole limit caught and released them and I, I can't tell you when's the last time i've done that but the conditions were right you the know conditions were right yeah. but you take someone that doesn't fish a lot you know even uh some good friends of mine fished with me the other day and brought his grandson he's been fishing down here a long time but you know now he's in his 70s and he can't cast as good as he used mm -hmm. to 40 years 50 years worth of, he's got a camp down here you know and um you give him a live shrimp and it makes him a better fisherman so i do both Polly. You, you know, I've got, I've got yeah. some live baits in front of them. You know, I give a little stab for four horseman tackle while we talk. And, you know, the boom, man, boom shrimp, man, their is boom, phenomenal. boom shrimp is unreal, dude. Aaron like, Pierce I, has really got some good stuff out there. And, I, you know, I'm not a big color fan, but I like the Tiger, the LSU purple and gold. You know, they've got uh, several of them here. And, um, you know, the date night, they've got uh, I like sea the biscuit. ones with the, the red flakes, that one. Yep, that the, the sea, sea biscuit. biscuit? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's good stuff. Trout snack. But uh, he's got the new professional series, Corks, that come out. And, um, you know, Aaron and I have been working together for about a year now, and I don't have nothing but good stuff. He stands behind his tackle. And if you haven't tried it, reach out to Four Horsemen Tackle, fourhorsemantackle.com, and, and take a look at his stuff. Yeah, and absolutely. You will not be disappointed. I, I, use, I use his Corks as well, and I've started using his Boom Boom Shrimp at times as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, man, like, it is the most acoustically correct cork on the market. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just sound, the sound of that cork when it – The pop. The pop is mimics a, a trout hitting the top of that water <laughs> yep well it's an attractor yeah and you know yesterday we started fishing with my guys and i said all right guys y'all need to pop these corks and they just barely pop mm -hmm. it I'm and i'm like, like no make some noise i mean if and this is what i tell them all the time if you can't hear that pop the fish can't hear it mm -hmm. they you just know, try and twitch it they yeah try and twitch they just, it yeah. They, you know and a lot of times they think they're popping it but they don't they don't have the slack out of their line so the cork's not moving and you know, I think these are very important, especially during high tide situations, because our fish, like yesterday, we had high tide in the morning, rising tide to about 8, 30, 9 o'clock, and the water was so high, the fish were way back in the grass, and you could hear them blowing up on bait, but you can't get to them. You can't fish them. Yeah. You know, I can't drive my boat up in six inches of water and fish in between the canes, because if you hook a good red, he's just going to break off. So when you're on the outside points or fishing, the, you know, the little drains and cuts uh, where you can do, those corks can attract them, yeah. you know, just like chumming. Yeah, no, it's true, and, and I've always I've always had the term like I, I learned that from uh, from diving, like you go down in the water and you'll either like you'll see people like snap their bands or they'll like you do like a grouper call like yep. like do like a grouper call or something like mm -hmm. that, and uh, my dad said from an early early age action brings action. That's you know? correct, and it's and it's the same thing with those corks and that that sound. And I've even thought about you know how like. Uh, 
that making an acoustic like a, a speaker that goes into the water and to to try and like mimic some type of like croaker sounds or bait crashing or something like that because i mean there's i mean fishing has evolved we got so many things in our advantage now between mm-hmm. all of our electronics and everything well, you know they have a device that does that i've yeah i've heard of it i've never have you ever tried I haven't to use tried one it, no i think adam lee was talking to me about it a couple of years ago and i don't know if he tried to use it or not Captain i can adam see lee, it working it everything's got its place yeah. you know and you know paul i make adjustments on the water sometimes i'll start with you know i start most every morning with putting two customers on live shrimp and some with plastic i'll throw plastic early in the morning or dead bait and some days the fish want the jig head down in the mud so deep uh, with long leaders and sometimes the fish are suspended and they want it mid-grade and then sometimes like when we're bull red fishing they're blowing up on the cork so you gotta you gotta adjust i mean sometimes you need a one foot leader or a five foot leader and you know, I've seen times where even a quarter-ounce jig head versus a three-eighths can make a big difference of whether the fish bite. So I feel my day out each day. On, you know, if the plastics work, well, we're going to sit here and catch them on plastics. You know, yeah. uh, I was listening to one of your podcasts the other day, and I forget who was talking, maybe Bobby Warren, but sometimes when I fish plastics, you'll catch some bigger trout on the plastics. They'll choke it. You won't catch the numbers you will with the with the shrimp. Uh, so they all have got their place. They all do different you know, different things. And, you know, again, when you're fishing live bait, uh, and I'm a live bait fisherman, I, they're insurance. Yeah. I never leave the dock without them. It's hard not to. No, <laughs> especially if you've got some kids. And, you know, like I said, I've got grandkids now, and I'm looking forward to taking them fishing. So mm-hmm. they will have a live shrimp to start because I want to hook them. I want them to come back. Yeah. But once you've got a box full and you run out of bait, then, then you can tie on your gold spoons and spinners and throw some jigs and things like that and just go catch whatever. And, you know, the downside to the shrimp is obviously they cost money. You know, the average cost now is between 45 and 49 cents a live shrimp. So that's another $150, $200 on top of a trip that's already expensive. Um, but, um, you know, they work. Yeah. And, and you just got to kind of feel it out throughout the day and see what you fish want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the live shrimp is definitely like insurance. I don't, do you know of any guides that just like they just go and fish plastics around here? I mean, that we have our fly fishermen. You see them. Absolutely. Uh, well, plastics are dead bait. I I know some captains, and I'm not going to name names because this podcast is all positive, and and people fish differently. I'm not going to tell you what works for me will work for everybody. And what they're confident in. Yes, correct. Just like you were talking about, you've got your spots that you go to and you catch them, but I see people that fish my spots, but they fish it differently, and they leave, and I can go behind them Mm -hmm. and catch them. Same thing. Or vice versa. Mm -hmm. I've left a spot, and one of my good friends pull in behind me, and he makes a small adjustment. Uh, goes to a longer leader, goes to a heavier jig head, goes to a kale hook with a split shot or, or whatever. It's a the pocket, di- just whatever like a it is. It's yeah. what they wanted. And when they want it and you figure it out, then yeah. you make those adjustments. Yeah, and that's what I tell people too sometimes when they talk about like, well, we don't want to know all your secrets and stuff about this and that. And I'm like, man, I could tell you everything I know, and you're still not going to know everything that I know. <laughs> you know oh, what absolutely. I mean? You know, like uh, you, you could tell me to go – you you've done it before you send a pin here yeah paul they're right here and you go there and i'm like (laughs) it doesn't work well you know we call it the crack and that what we mean by that is that spot uh it could be a four foot by four foot area or the presentation to catch trout sometimes on on rigs uh, or in in a trough or the way the currents run some you know harold wilcox is a good friend of mine and um he was my last guest oh was he yeah okay i'll look forward to listening to it you know hogwash he gives me a lot of stuff he's one of my sponsors and we've been good friends but you know he wade fishes a lot but we him and i have talked about presentation especially with plastics makes all the difference in the world 
So when you have all those factors uh, using a plastic and then you take a live shrimp, sometimes, you know, you're going to get fish that commit suicide. And people are paying good money. They want to come down here, and uh, most of our customers want to bring fish home, and they want action, want to catch stuff. So I don't leave the dock without live shrimp. I'm going to bring it. But I always start customers with uh, a kale hook, a long jig head with a leader, or even plastics. And then if if one guy's out doing the other one, I look and say, okay, what's he doing differently? And I'll watch him, and sometimes he's fishing a foot closer to the canes, or sometimes you know, if he's catching trout, he's throwing a little bit further right out or in a know. current line. All those things can make a difference, and then you kind of get them dialed in. Yeah. You know? yeah. And w- another question, very on topic, is – like sometimes I feel like, especially like in the early spring or in the winter time, you, like you'll cast in like a little bitty cove or like one little area, like a twenty by twenty foot area is where all the bites are happening, and they're not twenty foot to this right. side and twenty foot to that side. Why do you think that that happens? Well, I'll quote a good friend of mine, Charlie Casho. He said that's just the that's the crack and that's the spot, and they just keep popping out of the mud. So it, one of my pet peeves is I'll have a customer we're catching redfish after redfish in one spot. And they'll immediately turn around uh, and throw to the outside of the boat. And I'm like, I said, my friend, I said, look, it's your day to spend how you want, but where did you catch your last seven redfish? Oh, well, over here. I said, well, why are you throwing there? He goes, well, they should be over here too. I said, if you want to try, fine, but isn't your goal today to catch as many fish until you get tired? He said, yeah. I said, well, then turn around and throw back over here. <laughs> and what I've learned over the years, Paul, is you can make suggestions to people a couple times, but at some point you realize that you're going to piss them off. Yeah, you can. So yeah. I, what I'll do is I'll put my hand on their shoulder and say, listen, it's your day to do what you want. And if that's how you want to fish, for, go for it. Yeah. But I highly recommend, and I'm not going to say it again. Right, uh, right. This is what you need to do. Or the, one of my pe- one of my things is too is like people want their friend to get on them and it it seems like more often than not there's you know you get three or four customers there's always one guy that that can't really get them because he listens he's <laughs> or listening there's, there's one guy that's getting them better than everybody right. else or two guys and then the Absolutely. other guy sometimes i think it's the listening but sometimes i think he needs to go to church or something i, <laughs> well, I don't know what it is you know what i'm talking uh, about yeah you though. get that one guy who's living right and and listen sometimes more times than not i'm that guy or the captain yeah. is because we do it more you know yeah. but you do have that one guy and let me tell you something i, I forget the other day i had uh so mike gerald's trailers uh janine and, and a good friend of her her husband jj jack sharky they came fishing with us and uh her oldest son was catching a, a lot of trout with us that morning and she was getting upset and she's like i'm gonna beat you and i said listen you can do whatever you want to that kid after we got a limit of fish and is in the box but he's the mvp right now <laughs> don't hit him in the knee <laughs> he's him putting him in the him. box <laughs> exactly exactly so Yes, let that kid get to work, you yeah. know, because, you know, moms get caught up in, oh, look at how pretty the pelican is. And, oh, what's, oh, like the other day I had a guy coming by. I was like, hey, hey, get your corks down, your corks down. And he says, what do you mean? I'll turn around and look at an airplane. I said, oh, I remember my first time looking at an airplane. <laughs> if you want to look at airplanes, go to New Orleans Airport and watch them come in all day and get a lawn chair with a 12-pack of beer. I mean, we ain't out here to look at airplanes and helicopters. We're catching fish. Let's get to work. It's true, man. Well, you know, a lot of people don't know what we know, Polly, and sometimes we only have a 45-minute or an hour window to catch 60 or 70% of our fish that day. And we never know when that bite's going to quit. And, you know, the thing that's the most aggravating is you got a customer that you're sitting there and you're catching trout or redfish or whatever, and they go, oh, well, I think I'm going to eat a sandwich. 
Yeah. No, sir. That's not happening on my boat. <laughs> you can eat a sandwich when all this is over with and we're in the middle of the tide swing or y'all are done for the day. We, You know, eat, get nourishment, get you a Powerade, but don't let the foot off the gas because, you know, we get these times where schools of fish are coming through and you got to capitalize, and they're not going to stay right there yeah. unless you keep feeding them, you keep shrimping the water, you keep, yeah. keep the action going. You just quoted yeah. your dad, action creates action. Yeah. So... And I, and I think too sometimes it's like uh like people want to stop and take pictures and I I'm probably really bad about that because I take I take a lot of uh I take a lot of pictures and I I think I get that from my dad my dad was I mean, my dad had his own website since nine I think ninety five really and uh, every every fishing trip I've ever been on with my dad is on his website and uh, it's chronologically cool. ordered and everything but. I had a process my whole life of whenever you brought a fish on board, my dad was right there with a still camera, you know, and you had to hold the fish in the oh, right yeah. way and everything. And like, I really value all those pictures that he, you know, he's taken. So I always try to make it a point to, you know, make really good right. photos. But a lot of times I feel like it bites me in the butt because you're sitting there taking photos and everything. And, you know, if you do it a few times then you know, 30, 40 minutes goes by and that's, that was the whole, that was the whole bite. <laughs> well, you got to use your intuitive skills. Yes. In other words, if you're getting close to the end of the tide and you feel like, okay, I ain't got much time. Well, I say, Hey guys, let's go ahead and get close to our limit or whatever. And then we'll stop and take pictures. Yeah. So you got to kind of gauge it. And then yeah, of course, you when you bull red yeah. fishing, you got to take the picture because you want to release the fish, but right, right. you know, um, this but got to make a lot of adjustments. You got to kind of know when to stop, when to when to put the gas down, when to move. Um, you know, and there's some days I make a lot of the wrong moves. You know, I don't always get them. But, yeah. But when I, I come say in, it's like throwing darts. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes you hit the mark. <laughs> That's exactly right. And sometimes, some days you you already you know where you know what's about to happen. <laughs> well, I may have a plan in the back of my mind, like okay, yeah, I'm gonna start here if the conditions are right. Yeah. But I'm not gonna consume myself and have all my eggs in one basket for that one yeah. spot, because if it doesn't happen, I still need to be able to adjust and say, okay, where do I need to go? And, yeah. and you know, and I'm I'm gonna give kudos to the majority of the captains down here. Yes, I network with with some and closer with some of the others, but. There's not any captain that I can name in 10 years that I, I, that I do not socialize with or say hello to or, or just don't friend. I try to be friends with everybody. But no. uh, there are times where, you know, I have to pick up the phone and help someone. You know, we, you mentioned John Carter the other day. I mean, we, he's helped me as much as I've helped him, and, and we rely on that stuff. But at 7 o'clock in the morning, I'm not calling 20 of my captains to see if they're catching anything. You know, <laughs> it may be, at 10.30 or 11, if I'm struggling and driving a struggle bus, which we all do at times – yeah. Um, then but odds might, are they are too. They are, and you know, you know, I'm not a radio fisherman either, but I do listen to that radio. And on days when it's slow, and let's say we have a neap tide, or the, we're on the backside of a full moon, you know, those three days, four days after the full moon are just tough sometimes. Yeah. And the customers, when they hear the radio, and everybody says, "Man, it's like watching paint dry," then they realize that yeah, you know the twelve help. that they've caught. Is maybe you know better, better than, than some the of the other. somebody else. Called, yeah. yeah. So you know then they're like, man, everybody's struggling. So it takes the pressure off of us as a captain. Yeah, it does. It lets them right. know that we're not just the only ones out here. And and then sometimes when we you know when we're struggling and I get a captain to help us, we're very appreciative and I return those favors. Yeah. But you learn real quickly the ones that you help and then never call you back. Then you know, you got to kind of yeah. put that in your memory <laughs> bank because that happens a lot. Yeah, it does. It does happen for sure. Um. Is there any like uh, big trout days or um, any what is like what, maybe one of your 
most spectacular days or one of your most prized? I know you got some pictures here and stuff, some of your bigger trout, I guess. You know, uh, I was on the boat one time with my good friend Will Gotro, and, he, you know, him and I, we used to stay at his camp. He had a camp uh, right next to us during Katrina, and he lost his and rebuilt, and we fished together a lot. I can remember a day where we caught uh, – three or four fish over eight pounds and two of them nine pounds holy uh, and, cow man uh, that was that's unbelievable it was an area way out there was some broken stubble right after katrina uh still way out off of north pass i still got the marks out there but it's nothing land i mean it just canes that eroded over i mean we lost several miles of that coastline that used to be good during katrina and uh those were really good trout days um so how, how many did you say? Say that again. I want to say that I caught four over eight pounds. Four over four eight trout. Pounds. Yep. His, wow, his dad, myself, and I had a good. I've friend. never caught one that big. <laughs> I had a good friend of ours that came down uh, from Baton Rouge that rode with us, and I, uh, I, I think I had my camper at the time because we didn't even have power to run on generator, and we drove down. He's like, man, we're passing Lake Pontchartrain and Lake Marpo. He said, well, why are we driving four hours to Venice? And I said, man, you you've never been to Venice. Just let's go. So we get down here, and, and I'll never forget, you know, the next morning we're idling out of the marina. He says, man, I know one thing. He said, we finally here at Venice. The good thing is, is now that we drove four hours, we don't have a long boat drive. And I looked at him. I said, well, it's going to be about 45 minutes an hour. He says, you're shitting me. <laughs> we drove four <laughs> hours by land to get here, and we got a minimum of an hour boat ride. And then I'll never forget, we pulled up down there. It was me, Clay Gardenhire, and Will Gautreaux, and my buddy Clay. He says, he caught that first trout. It was five and a half pounds or so. And he was like, oh, my God, I've never seen one this big. And I said, yeah, now you know why we drive this far. <laughs> so, you know, Venice is a special place. We sure don't come for the Venice Mall, you know. We don't come for the playground and the beaches. You know, there's not much here to do. And one of the things I love about Venice is, you know, there's no red think, lights here. I think a lot of people love that about Venice, yeah, the that they, they feel like they're getting away Absolutely. from all the Absolutely. You're secluded. Stuff, you know, the, yeah. the closest red light is the Naval Air Station in Bell Chase, which is almost 80 miles from here. Yeah. Think about that for a second. So, yeah. you know, when you go home and I get, you know, I still live in Baton Rouge. I got a home there and uh, we'll probably keep my house there for a number of years. And my wife works for an attorney downtown. And I go home and get stuck in that Baton Rouge traffic in the afternoons at five o'clock or get stuck on the interstate. And it's like, oh, I remember these days. And I don't miss that. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, you still have to go to civilization at times and, you know, and, and, um, and get back to town. But, um, you know, I will always have a place down here. This place is special to us. Right. I have a, a interesting uh, topic that I uh, brought up on. Um, it kind of came up just oddly with uh, Harold Wilcox um, on my last podcast, but um, he we were talking about like Texas has um, the biggest buckle trout. Like they have a giant trophy trout. You know, people go if you want to go catch a ten pound trout, people will tell you to go to Texas, not not necessarily mm -hmm. in Venice. If you want to catch one of the biggest bull reds, you know your biggest bull red, they tell you to go to North Carolina. Venice doesn't necessarily have the giant, giant, you know, fifty. Well, we do have fifty-plus inch uh, bull reds, but the, you know, they they have bigger ones there. That's where the world record came from. But like, why do why do you think that that is? Why do you think that? And 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 now historically, we do have bigger triple tail than um any of the other coastlines um from what i understand um but what do you what do you think that is in your opinion and, and you're a fisherman i'm not trying to, i'm not asking you to be a biologist and answer it like yeah, no, that answer it it's, as a, it's fisherman. a great question uh you know and i've actually fished in baffin bay and corpus christi and some of those places and johnny maurice is a good friend of ours he's got a camp you know just mm -hmm. a, a rock throw from here and 
Johnny has gone to Florida to catch trophy trout. Yeah, he's gone they to, have big – the world record was 17 pounds. He's gone to Corpus Christi to catch trophy trout. And I'll never forget him telling a story about he booked Brent Roy and he told him, says, I want to come catch trophy trout. He says, but you can't fish the whole day because I don't want you to catch a fish. That's the trophy. I, I want, all I want you to do is tell me what to do and let me fish. And Brent says, I can't do that. I have to fish. And I agree with him because I cannot not fish the whole day. I'm right, too right. ADD. <laughs> I have to fish. I want to see what the fish are doing. And I think people will watch me fish and learn a lot. But, you know, you take uh, Corpus Christi area and air in that area down there, they've got s- so much salt water. They don't have the fresh water that we have here. Mm-hmm. So uh, just off the cuff, my personal opinion would be that those big fish don't have to migrate as far in and out or away from it and move when, let's say, the river gets high here. Those trout have to move away from the river system to live, uh, the bigger ones. Uh, you know, and, and I said it earlier, the big ones can take more fresh water, which is true, but there's a line somewhere, and I don't know what it is, that trout, um, by fact, have to have a higher grade of salinity to live than, than – uh, than redfish and yeah. i'll give you a case in point go walk in any bass pro shop you know you walk in a bass pro shop you look in the aquarium and what do you see a largemouth bass alligator gar and there's a redfish in the same tank you don't see a speckled trout in there because they can't survive that much fresh water right but a redfish can so yeah that's interesting and, and i think that that's why you know you get um if you get people from 504 area code they want speckled trout most of the time and you get people from like the west coast of florida in that area, you know, they want redfish because they're harder to find. And I, I've always said that that's why they're harder to find is because we have more fresh water than salt water. Right. And it and, it, and habitats better for more conducive for redfish. Mm-hmm. And then over there, they say that, you know, trout fishing's easy because mm-hmm. I don't think the trout move as much. You know, they go there one day, the trout are there, they go there the next, and they're still there. That's correct. They don't move. Because the conditions know? don't change like they do here. Right. The right. river didn't affect it. When the wind starts blowing, let's say, you take Breton Island, for example. You get a hard west wind for four or five days in a high river. The, the cove at Breton Island is nothing but fresh water. Yeah. And, it's, <laughs> it's, and, it's and what, those trout are gone. 10, 12 miles outside of Baptiste Collette. I'm just guessing. I don't know exactly how many far it is. But that river water doesn't just go out and just stop. It spreads. Yeah. So, you know, there are areas that clean up. So you take Florida, for example. The, it, when the wind blows, it doesn't affect bringing fresh water here or there. So those fish will hold in those areas more. In the last 10 days, I had some customers that came from Florida, and the guy caught three redfish, and he put his rod in the rod holder, and I said, man, what are you doing? He said, well, I've got my limit. I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, isn't three y'all's limit? I said, no. He said, well, in Florida, that's all we can catch. And I don't know what the numbers are, but, I mean, we got to talking about it. And, you know, Texas, for example, they, they you can only keep one fish over 28 inches. They got to tag it. I think you can keep three a year. And I know all the, the studies are being done right now for our redfish, and they haven't done one in for years. And uh, there's surveys out there that you can go, and everybody's got their own opinion. Uh, captain's limits, for example, of keeping the captain's limits for fish. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if lowering it will affect. And uh, But I know this, recreational fishermen do not affect the population of, of trout and redfish, in my opinion. Really? There's so many other effects. You know, I, and I read a, a study from LSU one time that it was like less than 1% of recreational fishermen affect the population of, of trout and redfish. Yeah. Yep. I think it does make a move maybe though. Do you think it makes well, a move? Well, pressure. Absolutely. The pressure oh, yeah, makes absolutely. A move. Well, pressure will affect the bite. Right. So the bite, yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the fish are there doesn't mean they're going to bite. Right. You know, just I quoted earlier that I'm going to put you on the fish but I can't make them bite and you can see it in areas. I can and that's another reason why I like to leave super early in the morning because sometimes I can fish an area 
uh, for 45 minutes before some of the other fleet. You know, we've got a lot of nice lodges around here, Woodlands yeah. Plantation, Ron Price, Paradise Outfitters, you know, um, uh, Anthony Randazzo with, with Paradise, and, and um, they, they run top-notch organizations, and, but they like to feed their customers in the morning. They stayed there that night, and sometimes those folks don't leave, you know, the Venice Fishing Lodge. Sometimes those guys don't leave the dock till 7.30, 8 o'clock, so they don't get to the fishing grounds till a little later than us. So me, by leaving early, I have my choice of the first two or three spots I want to go to early, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but you can see a correlation. When you've been fishing in an area, take for Yurtage, for example, which is a huge community area, once the boats start coming in there on Saturdays and there's 15, 25 boats running around everywhere, those fish shut off. Yeah. You know, I tell people this all the time, you know, climb under the water and listen when an outboard cranks up. Yeah, you can hear You that. can hear the exhaust. It's an unnatural sound. Mm-hmm. All of those things affect those fish, you know. Yeah. So. And I, f- and I feel like the, the fish have a way of evolving a lot quicker than we give them credit for. And whenever they, you know, they feel like, you know, they... Like the take cobia for instance, or even triple tail, they'll say that like off the Mississippi or or Panhandle that like you know the cobia or the triple tail aren't like they they were then, and and it's my opinion that it's not that we have less now, it's that the fish have felt that pressure and they've evolved and they don't go back. I don't know how they communicate, but there's they've now have proven that plants have a way of communicating with each other, you know, within the environment. Oh, I believe it. And and I think the species as a whole has a way of communicating with itself and part of me you know just to you know kind of reiterate what i believe happens with like the the size of the fish is sometimes i feel like the the we saw the average size of a red snapper grow in like from 2004 to 2007 by almost four pounds really which is substantial yes and um i think what happened this is just my opinion i'm not a biologist i'm just a you know charter captain but I think that the fish have a way of knowing what what size of fish that they need to put back into the ecosystem, what geno needs to be put back into the ecosystem so that they can spawn in a way mm-hmm. that is better for the prolification of the species as a whole. You know what I mean? So right. while we don't have 10-pound, 33-plus-inch speckled trout here, we have more of them, and maybe that's a way that the the environment communicates with itself to to regulate itself in a way you know and i mean what do you think about that theory? well it just animals in general you take a, a big deer or um you take um uh, you know anything uh, let's take a big alligator for example they don't get to be 13 foot by doing stupid things right they communicate they become smart they are aware of their surroundings and you know when you're driving out which we see alligators all the time when they hear those unnatural sounds what do you see them doing Correct. They're getting away. <laughs> Except the younger ones. The younger ones are inquisitive. That's why they come to those popping corks when we're red fishing. But mm-hmm. your older ones that are more mature, they shut down. Something in nature tells them that it's not right. And, and so, yes, they communicate. They feel that pressure. And it can make the difference on whether they bite or not. Doesn't mean they're going to leave the area. But, right. you, you know, we have, you got to realize a lot of animals are nocturnal. And they feed a lot at night. Yeah, and, and they do. Yeah, yeah especially so around the full moon. Absolutely. And stuff, yeah. I mean, I, I I do not. I have a lot of customers that ask me if I do night fishing trips, and we don't obviously because it affects your trips the day before and the day after. But 
when I was a recreational fisherman, I had a camp here, uh, you know, mentioned my buddy Will Gotro. I remember him and I going to the old yellow table out of West Delta, and the rig's been tore down and gone, but we'd go fish underneath those lights and catch all the trout you want. Now, it wasn't the easiest ride back in the dark, but, um, you know, I used to fish at night a lot, especially during the summertime when it's so hot. Yeah, it's hot. And yeah. it just blew my mind to see how much fish are still active throughout the entire night whenever yeah. you would fish out yeah, there. they don't sleep. <laughs> no. Well, that's a good question. They Do shut they? down during the day. Yeah. Do they sleep? I don't know. I don't. I, I've heard that they enter some type of like a trance or something. Okay. I don't right. Really know. I, I was wondering that. I mentioned that the other day. I don't think they do either. Yeah, I think that they, like in this in the late summertime, like when July comes around, you'll see you'll see the redfish and the fi- inshore fishing in general gets very very tough. In right. August and July. Um, September. Yeah, in September. Yeah, it can get really tough. Right. You know, with the, the inshore stuff, not it, like the other stuff. But no, the water temperature. And yeah, and it's a temperature thing. I yes. think that the, the that uh, fish choo- will choose the path of least resistance a- at any given time. And if they can feed at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, right as that's the coolest part of the day at that point. That is right. the coolest part of the day. And so they're going to feed up until that sun comes up they feel that temperature change and that's it mm-hmm. they're going into their sleeping mode or their dormant mode they don't they well don't that's a great point uh right now uh, the water temperature starting to get more increased as we're you know we're in the middle of may i think what today's may 20th 21st and um uh, this time of the year we'll start seeing our redfish transition from canes and i'll start catching a lot more on grass beds Mm-hmm. Uh, just like you bass, uh, I used to bass fish a lot, and the, the, they transition to those to the grass for a couple things. One is they can get underneath that that grass mat, and it's cooler. Mm-hmm. The sunlight's not penetrating on them, so the the water's cooler, and the grass mats hold bait fish. Mm-hmm. So at the cooler temperature, they don't have to work as hard to eat, and um, you know it's not as hot. Again, I'm back to that's why I like that first hour of the morning on the water. Yeah, because absolutely. It, it gets active, and you know you can see it. If I, you know, I don't, I'm not a big GoPro guy. I don't do all that stuff. But if I had a GoPro and could do it, you know, 20, 30 days, you could see how the action is pop, 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 pop. And then all of a sudden it just starts slowing down tremendously. Yeah. Now, yes, there are days where it picks up and days that don't. But over an average of 30 days, more times than not, you get a lot of action out of the gate. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I like. You know, I like to get our customers interested, get them, put some things in the box, get some, you know, I had a uh, a good friend of mine, Kip Creed, I brought his grandson the other day, and, and when we left at 530 in the morning, and we started fishing, and we were catching sheephead, and, you know, to a kid with a hammer, everything's a nail, but you take uh, a rod, all they want to do is catch fish, and we were there for 20 or 30 minutes, we were catching sheephead, drum, caught a couple of redfish, we had a big black drum, caught a bull red, and, you know, kids don't have a filter, and he said, man, good things are happening here. You know, he was fired up. You know, he's not trained. Oh, i got to catch nothing but trout. Or, no, i got to catch this. He just wants action. And, man, that made my day when a five-year-old stands yeah. up and says that. You know, good things are happening here. And I, I won't ever forget that. <laughs> that was awesome. It is cool how every once in a while the client will say something that, you you know, it really grabs you. <laughs> yes. It puts things in perspective. Again, yeah. you know, we do this every day. We're here all the time. So, you know things you know for example i'm riding down there was a coyote on the levee and and the customers jump up and want me to stop and see the coyote and i'm like man you ain't never seen a coyote and i'm like well not in the mississippi river i said well he's not in the river he's staying on the levee but you know i see that all the time yeah, you know yeah. i've seen deer crossing the river in grand pass and red pass and you know I, because i'm living in it i see it all the time on the water that much you know um so you know yeah 
It's, yeah, it's all perspective. Exactly. Sure. What, what you've encountered. But before. it's nature, and sometimes you got to stop and smell the roses, as my grandmother used to say. <laughs> Don't just walk past the garden. Stop and smell them and appreciate things. Absolutely. Yep. You have uh, anything else you really want to talk about on here? Man, you know, you and I were kind of visiting a little bit before the podcast, and uh, something I wanted to just mention is, uh, you know, with my safety background, uh, one of my pet peeves is, you know, we live in today's time where uh, LED lights are, are, are cheap. You know, mm-hmm. and I see this all the time. You know, I had a friend of ours got killed years ago in a boat accident, not because of a lighting issue, but I'm big on, on boat safety and, mm-hmm. and safety. And if I leave in the morning, even right at dawn, uh, it just, it irks me to see offshore boats, commercial vessels, deck boats, they all do it. Uh, uh, there are some that run running lights all the time, but, you know, I, I don't understand why in today's time when you can buy port starboard and a 360 running light for less than twenty dollars even some of the battery operators where you can clamp on and turn a light on it's so easy and that's such something that we should all be more mindful of and you know and the ones out there that don't do it hey that's your business but you know when you can see a boat coming your way and see which way he makes a turn you know we're, we, yeah. again I'm, I'm a grandfather now i've got three grandkids and i want to spend some time with them so i'd encourage the listeners to you know check your running lights yeah. you know, do a safety checklist and what, and, what, uh, what other kind of safety stuff i mean you're the guy to talk to about boater safety so if there's any i mean any other things i mean like what how about like running in the fog well, I wouldn't man, recommend it. I don't recommend it to anybody. So, you know, first <laughs> off, you don't you don't leave the dock when you can't see across the harbor. You know, mm-hmm. you don't leave when you can't see 20 feet in front of your boat. That's not smart. You know, yes, we all run in the fog, but, you know, our equipment is state-of-the-art, and it's to get you home safe, not to get yourself into trouble. But, you know, um, I when I became a captain, I have AIS on my boat, which is Automated Information Systems, which you can identify and see direction speed over ground rate of turn of all your commercial ships and vessels like when you cross in the river and restricted visibility even at night not necessarily during the fog um, i also have my vessel registered with the mmsi number uh, for distress so if you know i tell my customers in the morning if something was to happen all they have to do is flip that button and press the distress button and coast guards on 16. but you know i go do a little safety checklist with with life jackets and and all that kind of stuff and just tell them yeah. a couple of quick things fire extinguisher life jackets who to call if something happens yeah. Fortunately, in today's time, we got more cell phone service now than we used to. But when I used to fish down here, we didn't have cell phones. You know, mm-hmm. we, we so we'd file a float plan. Uh, but uh, you know, I don't encourage people to run in the fog. You know, fish isn't worth somebody's life. And there, I there tell was, people to stay in their comfort. Yeah, there was a fatal accident this past year, and uh, but I see uh, folks running the fog with no radar, no running lights. Uh, all they're doing is running a chart plotter, and, and to me, that's just foolish. You know, not on, if you don't care about your life and your safety, that's one thing, but you're putting others in harm's way. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and hey, I, again, I've only been an aluminum boat owner for a year, but the, the boat that I have, and even Alex Gravel that makes American Aluminum Marine, those boats are safer, uh, yeah, safer and, yeah. and I feel more protected if I was to get in an accident. Um, but, you know, uh, I think uh, one of the offshore captains a couple of years ago uh, posted a blog on Facebook about the things that you should do in the fog uh you know and i'll run through those real quick you know when we leave the marina in any any passes no matter where you're at even if you come up to a a drawbridge uh in in the southern rivers channel 13 is how you communicate to all your vessels and and harbor traffic on channel 13 your work boats that kind of stuff once you get in the river system here channel 67 is dedicated solely for river traffic and you know those big ships you know they will tell you whether inbound outbound uh when the fog or the coast guard shuts the river system down you'll have vessels that are anchored 
so you can communicate and you know when you get a target on your radar and you know of course i've got a garmin i'm uh i use garmin all the time but you can go do some studying go to radar school you can learn marpar tracking following targets see if the target's stationary and moving in what direction yeah i love that new stuff all, I got the, on my radar all those things are so helpful they and, and help. people really need to use their electronics a lot of people have it and just they don't don't even, don't even know it, it. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Harold Wilcox. He called me the other day wanting to know about this radio right here that I've got on my table, Standard Horizon GX6000. And that radio has an AIS transceiver, I mean, it, a receiver, excuse me. They built a 6500 but had a transceiver in it, which means you can output your position. But I don't output my AIS. All I do is receive. Mm, so the people can't see where you're fishing. Right? Well, no, not necessarily. <laughs> because even if you go hey, get AIS. people like that. But if you have AIS and go and install it, you still can rig it to a toggle switch and turn the power off. Yeah. Uh, and, and which is smart, but the you know the, the standard Horizon GX6000 is a bigger radio. It's got a bigger speaker. You can register your MMSI vessel. You, it's got AIS, Automated Information Systems, and you can see a lot of traffic on there. Know their rate of turn uh, in the Garmin. If it's a green target that shows up, you know that you don't you're not in a collision course. But if you are in a collision course, it gives it a red line, a heading, and any on mine even gives you a time to to potential you know to wow. collision. So it can tell you you're two minutes out, three minutes out to to hitting it so you know this radio is four hundred dollars and i'm not a i'm not trying to sell standard horizon but most radios can connect to ais and you mm -hmm. know talk to your electronic guy there's several companies locally or if somebody wants to reach out to me man give me a call i'd be happy to have that conversation rob buck with Cito, him and i talk all the time and, and we've talked about you know ais and yeah. why more people don't use it it's a great tool you know jimmy gringo i saw him on ais the other day in his boat coming in and because uh, uh, he he outputs his position so you know, it is very helpful to have a voice on that radio on channel 13, 67, or whatever, yeah. uh, when you have a target to see what they're doing. Because, you know, these big uh, tugboats, uh, crew boats, they can't stop. You know, they're yeah. 10, they're, 15. They're, in, yeah. they're going. <laughs> Ships, for example, they can't just hit the brakes and stop, inbound yeah. or outbound. So you got to know where you're going and, you know, go to Bear Steer's Way and, and move your folks to safety. So Right. And the whole time, like when I'm heading out, you know, I'm saying I'm, this is Captain Paul Miller where i'm heading what i'm doing absolutely and um you know it's it's amazing to me the amount of guides i've i'm not i won't ever name anybody i don't like to badmouth people but you know guides been down here a long time and they don't know the operating channels for you know the past well that's and, why i just brought it up yeah i know and yeah. it's and it and it, and it really is mm -hmm. something everybody needs to be aware of <laughs> yep. well and i'll give you an example you know i'm uh we're left venice marina for example and i'll just do some clear text you know that my fishing vessel james taylor leaving venice marina will be outbound tiger pass headed towards the venice jump uh passing cypress cove and and stone fuel northbound um uh, when we get to grand pass i'll be turning southbound in grand pass and i was running to riverside earlier this spring and i see a target on my radar and i'm calling for the vessel calling for the vessel on 13 and couldn't get an answer and you know he, he made his turn got off to the bank got on mine i don't know if he was having radio problems but it was a huge crew boat that should have had AIS, should have been on channel 13 to communicate, and wouldn't even answer us. And, you know, that's just dangerous. That it is, just is. Yeah, that is uh, but, so. uh, it, you know, you need to be safe. And the good thing, again, like when I chose to run that day in the fog, I am still have a visibility for, you know, let's say 100 yards or so where I can react even if I see something visually, um, uh, you know, in front right. of me. I don't, it, dark and fog, never don't leave yeah. the dock yeah or if it's foggy and raining that is uh, again so there's all <laughs> kinds of restricted visibility rain fog dark so that's when you've my, got more than worst. one 
worst conditions to Hit run in is fog and rain, and you're sitting there trying to adjust the game, and then it's just a mess. <laughs> it's a mess for sure. Yep. But um, any other things you want to talk about? Man, I'll I I mean, unless you have anything, I'll go ahead and ask my my last and final question that I usually ask everybody. You ready for it? Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know what it is. No, so uh, as <coughs> as fishermen, as charter captains, however you want to bring it up, what do you think that we can do as a, as a fishing community to further conserve our resource that we have here? What do you think that we can do to make it better? I always have this theory, we can make it better than what it used to be. Some people don't like to think like that, but that's how I choose right. to live. <laughs> well, we can all do our part, um, you know, so you can answer that question in many different ways versus habitat, land, whatever. One of the biggest things that, that I do is don't just kill fish for the sake of killing them. You know, yeah. I have a lot of customers that come down and they fish two or three days, and, and I always talk to them. I ask them, and if they come three or four times a year, hey, what did y'all do with y'all fish? Oh, it's in the freezer. Okay, well, do we need to kill 100 speckled trout today, or do we need to catch the captain's limit of redfish today? Is it necessary? Uh, and you get some people that come down, and they want to get enough for a fish fry to donate to their church or whatever. So that's one way to protect the resource. You know, mm-hmm. there are several other programs, like I just mentioned, the Old Spanish Pass, but, you know, what do you feel, how do you feel about the the them trying to go down on our speckled trout limit? Because that's a huge topic uh, in the current days. Man, it, you know, you talk to so many different people, and I know there's all kind of science behind it, and some I understand, some I don't. Um, you know, two things: one, if they drop the limit from 25 to 15, I don't think it's going to affect my customer base. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 15 fish is plenty. Mm-hmm. especially if you're in an area and you catch, you know, 15 nice ones. Or, you know, I heard somebody say the other day they caught 50 speckled trout and then they spent the rest of the day looking for bigger ones, and that's the captain's limit. You know, that's fine. But don't just kill them for no reason. But I don't think it makes any big difference to me whether they drop the limit or not. I think 25 is too much. Here, let me ask you a question. Where else in the United States can you go and catch 25 speckled trout and the law says it's legal? Nowhere. Nowhere. Yeah. Where else in Louis in the United States can you go catch five redfish and keep them per person? And the captain's limit Nowhere. is legal. Nowhere. So, you know, yes, our estuary is different, and that's what makes Venice special. Uh, mm-hmm. But everybody needs to do their part. They really yeah. do. Yep. And and I, you know, I, I'll just say this is I, I've I really feel like the center of the conversation whenever it comes to regulations um, should go from because like if we keep lowering and lowering uh regulations uh eventually you know we're going to get to a point where you know 30 years from now i hope it doesn't happen but we might not be able to keep anything if they keep you know just lowering it and lowering it and lowering it i think the center of the conversation should go towards more habitat and that should be the center of all conservation around here that is correct but but then you've got politics you have legislation that needs to be put in place and then you got the biggest word that nobody wants to talk about is funding, okay? So yeah. in times where you know, funding is not just plentiful, you know, you have federal funding, you've got grants. Uh, CCA does a lot of good things. Some things, again, you know, we all have our opinion of whether it's good or bad, but there are a lot of good programs out there, nonprofit organizations, but it's never enough. It's never you enough, know, right, exactly. Th- the one thing I see, Paul, and we talked about, you know, losing habitat is I'm looking at spots that I'm fishing now that I fished with my dad you know, years ago and caught limits of redfish, and that spot's not going to be available for me to be able to fish with my grandkids. Yes, we'll be in an area, but I won't be able to pull in this certain pond and catch a redfish there, you know, with my grandkids because we it's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, there's places that are just gone. And it uh, when I became a charter captain, uh, you can visually see it uh, every year. 
places that you were yeah. you went oh, out of, too. and it's yeah. gone, and yeah. it changes. Yeah. And and some of those places are still good to fish for a couple of years, but it continues to erode. And, and as long as we continue to lose our rose cane and our marsh, and, you know, you take Katrina, when we took a hit, that was a low river, and we had one of the healthiest marshes um, that was out there. You know, we went through the, the, the bug or the scale that got on the rose canes a few years back, and we lost a lot, and some of it's coming back in different areas. But... In some places, it just looks like it breaks my heart to see that just go oh, away. Man, it just like does. Relics, like all the right. Sandy Point rigs. I mean, I'm a rig fisherman. You know that. I fish yeah, a lot well, they of took all that stuff down. I mean, and it's... it's uh, and I've heard you talk hard. about doing some artificial reef stuff. I know your dad did that. Yeah. And, and those are things... Those I'm are, really passionate about there's it. There's all <laughs> things like that that we could go do um, yeah. and that make it different. You know, I'm, I don't know the science behind those things, but, yeah. you know, would I volunteer some time and a day to go put forth some effort? You know, I, I actually took the day off when they did the Green Monster uh, Reef, and they took boats out there, and, and they, they, they cut the Green Monster down and made an artificial reef. I guess that's been, what, two years ago, yeah. something like that. So those are interesting to see. Yeah, um, it was it was cool to see that they made um, – they put a reef in its place of the Green Monster. I was, like, really cool to see. But sometimes – do you do you think that, um, like, speckled trout need that, that stuff that comes all the way out of the water? Well, that's a great question. In my opinion, I think that bait fish will hold differently. With stuff that comes out. Correct, that I are suspended. I think it's suspended. that top third of that water column that the bait needs. Well, uh, shade. Yeah, and uh, the shade. You know, yeah. I, 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 my good friend Marcus Deal taught me this years ago, when you take a bass, you know, it's like us. We're sitting underneath my building and the sun's shining. If you walk out in the sun, you can't really see out. But if you move back in the shade and look, it's like you're looking out of your patio kitchen window and you look in your kitchen where the sun's shining. And if you're in the sun, you can't see out. But if you get in that shade, then you you're can right. see. Yeah, so about all of your buildings that are, you know, those rigs and structures that are above and you get some of those shady sides, those fish feel more comfortable. They're not, you know. the Path the, of least resistance. Correct. And it's <laughs> cooler water. Uh, you know, different things like that. So all that affects. So, yes, absolutely. It's still going to hold some fish, but right. I think having a structure above, like I mentioned, the yellow table you know, down in mm-hmm. West Delta right off of Southwest Pass that we fished. Man, I wish I, I wish I knew how many speckled trout I've caught off of that rig over the years. You know, my, wow. my I, I can't leave the podcast without talking about, you know, my, my good friend Owen Langridge. Him and I were lived next to each other for years and years. And Owen, I think he's retired now, gave up his captain's license this year. But, you know, I chartered Big O – uh, every year for my birthday or sometimes twice a year and my whole goal was is to go teach me a different area not necessarily where to fish and how to fish but to learn how to navigate down here and I learned so much not only how to navigate where to navigate and it changes a lot but you know Big O taught me a lot of things you know uh, pressure um, how to react uh, you know and, and I, one of my greatest memories of fishing was him was catching a lemon speckled trout on that rig we caught some nice fish underneath the rig that day in the shadows in the current we tried fishing on the outside legs and we never did whether that was a factor or not i don't know but i knew where they were biting and i wasn't moving right <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and then another question on this topic if you were to make like say somebody said all right jamie here's 10 billion dollars you can build a speckled trout reef any way you want using whatever material you you want what would what would what kind of a design do you think you would want? Would you want to make like this this the oil rig that we have here, or what do you think would be most conducive to speckled trout or or any fish? Man, that's a great question because I I don't remember who you were talking to, and I've heard us talk about this conversation. You know why don't trout hold in East Bay? 
Yeah. You've got South Pass and Southwest Pass that are just known for speckled trout. Lord, I mean, boxes and boxes of nice trout mm-hmm. on both sides. But this beautiful bay in between those two areas that has a lot of high grade of salinity, and it just doesn't hold trout. I mean, you catch a few and white trout in the wintertime. But it, Along the banks on yes. each side, you'll catch them. Yes. In the middle of that bay, you will not catch speckled that, that's trout. That's my point. Uh, so to answer your question, um, I think a lot of the things out in Breton Sound have uh, limestone bases that they put you know, to hold some of the pipes and stuff down, and, and for whatever reason it holds uh, you know, the ecosystem or the, the bait uh, a little bit better because, you, you know, you can take uh, some of those rigs that are popular and take your, your down scan and side imaging and, and take a 362 around it, and you can see those contours, and they hold fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's real simple. When you pull up and your graph isn't lit up with bait, it's not going to happen. But if you pull up there at daylight or before and the graft is just lit up with bait, it's fixing yeah. to happen, fixing to get busy. But, you know, if I had unlimited resources, I think the first thing I would do is, is build some beaches on the exterior. Um, you know, they already building up Breton Island, for example. Yeah, but that was awesome. Gozier's gone, yeah. okay? Some of Curlew's still there. But you take uh, the end of Passalutra. Man, if we had a rock jetty, Oh uh, or a concrete wall a or sandbars, something. <laughs> uh, something that would help protect. You know, the, they got a facility still out there that's functional around a lighthouse. Uh, Brent Roy shared some old pictures the other day about the lighthouse where there was just land all around Passalutra and the top got knocked off in Katrina. Well, all that's gone, and you can fish all the way around it. But I would I would do that at both Passalutra, South Pass, and, and uh, Southwest Pass and give it more and then worry about where you can put some artificial reefs and different things because just by doing that it will hold salt water on those interiors and let the fish spawn more the reproductive system be better Uh, all of those things will be better because of that absolutely i definitely think so too i i i think about that a lot like uh like even with like the barrier islands like uh like around Curlew or or like Chandelier, like if they just had like a rock line of some sort on the inside mm-hmm. or outside yeah. of it, you know, and like the amount of fish that would habitat. But I think the core has a really hard time with putting things out that stick out the water. I don't know what it is, but like we, you know, we, we can't put fads out. Like the artificial right. reef programs can't put out fads due to the core's laws and regulations. Mm-hmm. And you see no fads. They're just now getting, I don't know what kind of laws they passed to get Florida to start putting fads out. And I just heard recently that Texas has gotten approved to put fads out. Things that come, I think the, the ones in Texas are going to be semi-submerged, but putting things out that stick all the way out of the water is a navigation hazard somebody has to assume the liability for those things so and putting things that stick all the way out of the water for fish is not in their in their radar <laughs> it's just not gonna I happen understand. <laughs> well you know those a lot of those people are super smart yeah however you know uh, you know i'll quote my dad he said all sense and all common sense isn't common to everyone mm-hmm. so you know you and i take our common sense of knowledge of what we see and we know will work and then some folks that have these big degrees in engineering or super smart people don't have that common sense to apply both of them. And they really need to talk to us, uh, you know, get some insight. But, you know, I participate in some of those meetings, and, and it's you just don't get any headway. Yeah, and, and it's know. very frustrating. Uh, you know, they do surveys and those things. But when it comes down to it, the ones that are making the decision of where the money goes are those yeah. educated people that are super smart and some things work and some things don't you know you yeah. take for example when they dredge south pass mm-hmm. they built the interior reservoir up um they knocked a hole through pole lake 
uh, to get the dredge pipes through there. And now all of the fresh water from South Pass is going into Pole Lake. Do you know how many speckled trout we used to catch Dude, in Pole Lake? Dude, I used to catch them. You know how many water? redfish I've caught since in there since they Not did? many. Not many. Because of all the fresh water. Dude, but it is so if, aggravating. If they took those pipes and they built that beach on the outside, then you're protecting it. Then you can go plant some stuff on the inside, build some things on the interior. Make an estuary. Yes. You, you'll make some ponds, for example. Make some uh, you know, artificial lakes. I mean, you still can access them, but I'm just saying some interior areas that will hold good, clean water and the fish can survive in year after year, and they can migrate to, be protected in the wintertime. You'd and make more fish is what you would do. Absolutely. <laughs> You'd absolutely. make more fish. Well, I, I think I listened to you talk on one of them about, uh, you know, what your dad does. He's been in the artificial reef program for years. And you create more fish because you give them better habitat to live. I mean, you take wildlife, for example, the, the yeah. deer management programs. You know, when you go give them, uh, you know, when you do control burns and pine thickets and all those things, you, they have done the science behind it. By the, when you get that habitat right, you will create more deer. Uh, you'll get better better bucks that come from it. You know, and ducks are the same way. The more habitat, the more they yeah. can breed, the more that they can survival rate, all that makes a big difference. Yeah, one of the first time I ever went hunting, I saw, like, I went up there to North Mississippi, and I realized this guy had bought this 600 acres of land and made it, at, you know, he, like, it was because of him that all these deer were there and ducks were there because he made his property more inhabitable for these for these deer and ducks right, you know and right. now i mean it's pretty widely known that we have more big game in north america than we ever have had and it's through the efforts of hunters and fishermen that that that's possible and that's why i believe a lot of people believe that you know we should try and have less pressure while out on the water less people fishing and i think the basis should be that we need more people that fish more people that love this more people that will do things and pass laws in order to make this place better than what it used to be correct that's that's how we coexist with the ecosystem and make it better as instead of making it worse mm -hmm. you know what i mean there's ways that we've proven that we can do that and you know i i try to get that point across because so many people don't want people to get into fishing but every whenever somebody pulls into your spot we really do need that person we need all we need everybody to love love it as much as me and you do you know right well i talked about creating other customers to come back in generations you know i've taken kids fishing that now they're in college and they're coming back and they're getting married and maybe they have kids and come back and get them folks interested you know uh, one thing that my wife and i've done is bought all three of our grandkids lifetime license for hunting and fishing in louisiana and they may not love the outdoors like i do but you know i want them to remember that's one thing about us is we want them to enjoy the outdoors yeah so absolutely yep. Well, Buddy, it's been a pleasure being here. I appreciate the invite. You've been a good friend. <laughs> you know, I, and I will say this, too. I know you work solely for Mexican Gulf a lot, and they're, they send me a good bit of trips and pleasure to work with. But, you know, y'all are top-notch with the offshore group. They're second to none. And I know y'all don't try to corner the entire inshore market, but you do have customers that want to do inshore. But, you know, I'll give you a stab and say, man, when I get phone calls that want to go offshore, I say book Mexican Gulf. And, yes, there, you know, there are a lot of other good guys out there that – I do Joey Davis is great. You know, Will Wall's getting out of the offshore, but Peace Marvel's probably one of the best, but he loves sword fishing now. But day in, day out, having a network, uh, Mexican Gulf is second to none, and you guys run a top-notch organization. Y'all bring a lot of business to the state. Y'all bring a lot to the economy. Y'all help us from an inshore standpoint, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. How many customers come – 
do the offshore thing and they do the inshore yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. And then and then they realize they like the inshore better. You know, it's like it's like the tuna is the main attraction, but then right. they come here. I, sometimes I'll tell you like, yeah, you go you go offshore to get the meat and come with me when you want to have fun. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a great way to say it. Absolutely. But I, I you know I say that lightly. Some people love the offshore they because the the fact of not knowing how big the fish is. I've you're done it catch. all, you yeah. know. And look, I've caught yellowfin tuna. There's a picture on the wall of a 185 with me years ago, but. You know, for me to wake up in the morning and want to go reel in a yellowfin tuna because I've done it, yeah. it's not not there. But man, I could go chase those. It's all about the camaraderie all day long. It's all it's all about the camaraderie right. and having a good time mm-hmm. and enjoying yourself. I you enjoy the, whatever's most enjoyable to that client. Right. Is, is is what I enjoy the hunt of the inshore chasing them, mm-hmm. trying to find them, trying to create figure a bite, it out, yeah. figure it out. Every day is a little different, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it does keep your brain turning all the time. Yes, yeah. absolutely, and it keeps it interesting. Keeps the interest. The, the, you know. You know, you take a customer. I remember a couple of years ago, I had some guys, and man, it was 12, 1 o'clock, and I think we had two fish in the box. I said, Guys, listen, just hang in there with me. We're going to find them. We're going to nail them. And then, man, I, you know, an hour later, I pull up to the spot, and in 20 minutes, it's just nothing but chaos. Johnny fire drill. <laughs> and, you know, they love that. They're like, Man, we never gave up. We fought to the end, and we got them. Yeah. You know, I love that so, fourth sometime, quarter. Yeah, great. sometimes <laughs> that's better than just going hit the first spot, mm-hmm. and then they go, Okay, well, what are we going to do the rest of the day? Yeah. You know, so I, li- I like it when it happens. It's a double edged sword. It is. It is. Yep. It definitely is. Well, Jamie, we'll go ahead and wrap this up, but I want to tell you, too, I really do appreciate um, you being a good friend, Absolutely. mentor, Same here. everything Likewise. else down here. <laughs> yep. As the good book says, iron sharpens iron like one man can sharpen another. So <laughs> things that you know we can share, and, and uh, I appreciate you having me on here. Again, I, I want to do a shout-out for Four Horsemen Tackle. And look, y'all, everybody comes down here. B&B Tackle, Austin plays on runs a top-notch yeah, business. There. Yes. <laughs> I can't go in there without spending $1,000, but, man, he's got all kind of good gear. Rain I need to have gear. him on. I thought that the last Absolutely. time I was in there, I need to Austin's have him on. Austin's a great guy. He's got a super personality, and he's, you know, he's he knows his stuff, expanded man. his business. He's got he knows his tackle. two stores there. And you can call him and say you want something special, and he'll try to get it for you, you know. So uh, those guys are awesome. And, and I will tell this to you. They're fishermen. Right? Yes. Yeah. If you don't have sea tow and you fish down here in this area, you need to call Rob Buck uh, with the West Bank Sea Tow and, and really become a member. It's it's cheap, especially for your recreational fishermen. In the scheme of things. Man, look, they've <laughs> even got programs now where if you break down the side of the road with your trailer. But, you know, you take a family that has their own boat and they want to come down here for the weekend and they get stuck or have motor problems. You know, if you can make a phone call in an hour or two hours, somebody comes get you and brings you home and you're not miserable or stuck in the marsh overnight with the bugs eating on you, it is worth $180 a year or whatever the number is. I, I don't even know. I'm going to auto pay, repay it, and just keep coming back, <laughs> and I recommend it to everybody. So give Rob Buck a talk. Go see Austin Plays on some B&B Tackle and, and certainly look up uh, Four Horsemen Tackle. Awesome, man. Yep. Well, I we'll appreciate, appreciate it, Jamie. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Okay, Paulie, take care. Hello, everybody. This is Captain Jamie Taylor. And I just want to let everybody know, thanks for today. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you would like to reach out to me and talk to me about anything we discussed today, please give me a call at 225-229-4330. Or you can look me up on the World Wide Web at www.taylorsguideservice.com. You can look me up on Instagram or Facebook. If you'd like to book a trip, give us a call. I'd love the opportunity to earn your business. 225-229-4330. Take care and God bless.